Thank you for listening to this message from Rooted and Resolved. I will be lots of places in Scripture today. If you would like to turn with me to John 3.16, I believe I will start there. All of the passages that I give you will be up on the screen. and I'm going to try to give the, walk through those as quickly and as concisely as possible. If you have been with us, we started last week speaking about the solas of the Reformation. That's what the... It's what this series is about. And the Protestant Reformation was kind of this movement in the 1500s, 1600s, where um, there was this perceived moral and doctrinal kind of corruption within the Catholic Church, which was the primary church at the time. Many guys spoke out against that. They tried to make reforms from within, um, tried to uh, teach some things based on doctrines found in Scripture that was contrary to the Catholic Church and what they were teaching at the time. And those five real doctrines that that were drawn from Scripture that became highlighted at that time have become known as the five solas. Sola just simply means alone. And so last week, we talked about sola gratia, grace alone, the idea that you and I are saved not because of some kind of merit or some kind of inherent goodness in us that God looks at and saves us. It is by God's grace alone that God chooses to call and to give his son to atone and to regenerate and sanctify us. All of that happens because of God's grace, not because of some goodness that's in us. Today, we want to talk about that second sola, sola fide, which is faith alone. That you and I are saved by faith, apart from works. See, what was being taught at the time was, is not only did you have to have faith in God, you also needed to do certain things. You needed to jump through certain hoops in order to obtain or earn your own salvation. Where faith is what the Bible teaches is the sole means of our salvation. Right, Our culture teaches right the opposite of this. If you think about it, our culture teaches. Now, this teaching that our culture holds is rooted in religion. Religion says you must do something to obtain eternal life. And most religions in the world are religions about something that you do. Let's go to Catholicism like we talked about before, right? Even the the holdover from the 1500s, 1600s, even by today's Catholic Church, if you want to be saved, you not only need to have this faith in Christ, but you also need to follow the sacraments of the church, receive communion, um, confess your sins to the priest, all of those sacraments of the church. Following the Protestant Reformation, the Catholic Church met this council, Council of Trent, which uh, when you look at the things that came out of the Council of Trent, it were all things to speak out against the Reformers. I want to read you uh, something that came out of the Council of Trent. I'm just going to read the first part and the last part for time's sake, but you need to know that everything that I'm cutting out in the middle, it doesn't change the integrity of what I'm fixing to tell you, okay? At the first and the last. If anyone saith 
that by faith alone the impious is justified, let him be anathema. Let him be damned. Let him be excommunicated from the church. Right? So even Catholic doctrine today says it's not by faith alone that you're saved. It's faith plus the good works that you do. Think about other religions that are outside of Christianity. What does Islam teach? If you want to go to heaven, if you want to please Allah, you pray a certain number of times a day toward Mecca, you give a certain amount of your income, you possibly journey and travel to Mecca, right? You abstain from eating certain things or doing certain things, and if you do that, you're a good Muslim. If you're a Buddhist, what do you do? You renounce the physical, material things of this world. You um, find this place of enlightenment. You, you reach this nirvana tier, right? You treat others with, with kindness in order that you might see that reflected. You cast that out into the universe and it comes back to you kind of idea, right? Think about Judaism. You follow the commandments of Moses. You adhere strictly to the law. You keep the festivals, you keep the feasts, you keep the law, you do this, and you will be saved. And genuine Christianity is about none of that. Genuine Christianity is not about keeping a list of rules. It's not about reading in Scripture and, and this being a, a command book that we keep it or we don't, and if we keep it more than we don't, then we're saved. It's not what this is. I'm, hear me, I'm not saying you should not obey the commands of Scripture, right? But what I am saying is that that's not the determining factor, how well you obey those commands or how poorly you obey those commands does not affect or determine your salvation, right? We are saved not by something we do. We are saved by what Christ has done on the cross of Calvary. It is done. God's gift of grace has been given. By faith, we receive that. By faith, we trust in what he has done. By faith, we don't try to work at it on our own. By faith, we trust fully. We throw all of ourself onto what he has done there. That is where all of our trust is because it has already been done for us on the cross. You see, this is contrary to what the world believes. You know this. Just think about our culture. Think about what is taught, right? The way our culture believes is, if you do more good than you do bad, you go to heaven. If you do more bad than you do good, you go to hell. And the phrases that we use, the terminology that we, the posts that we put on social media tell us that this is what we believe as a culture. He wouldn't do that. He's a good person. They were such a good person if anybody deserves to go to heaven, surely they do. And then it's almost a joke, right? It's almost a joke on, if you're on any social media platform ever, right? The, the idea that if you laugh at a certain meme, then you go to hell, right? Like, you don't laugh at this. This is so bad. This is so, uh, this is so wrong that if you laugh at that, you're going to hell. Because you're a bad person. There's a part of you that's bad somewhere, right? And we have, our culture works on this weight system. Good, heaven, bad, hell, right? It's how we operate. 
It's in our movies, it's in our TV shows, it's in our cartoons, it's in our music. She's gone to heaven, so I got to be good, so I can see my baby when I leave this world. It's in small little places that we don't recognize this idea that if I'm good, I go to heaven. If I'm bad, I go to hell. And the Bible says, mm -mm. it's not about works that you do. Your salvation, the means of your salvation, sola fide, faith alone. Let's look at some of the passages that you might find in Scripture where a reformer might look, some places when the, if you're one of those reformers reading through Scripture and you're trying to find, okay, and you're just looking and you're beginning to see things that stand out that are contrary to this teaching that you have to work your way into heaven, where is this at? And if a person is not saved by their works but by faith, what does this faith look like? Let's start with this. I want to start by, by talking about simple faith. When I talk about faith, what am I talking about? What does the Bible even talk about or describe faith to be? In its simplest form, as you and I think about faith in terms of salvation, what we need to be thinking about is the word belief. Faith is the idea in salvation of belief. And over and over again in Scripture, we have these indicators that it is faith in Christ, it is this belief in and on the person and the work of Christ that saves us, okay? Look at these verses that you are very familiar with. John 3 in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that's an act of grace, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That belief is faith, right? In that very verse, we have this Grace and faith, it's all tied up there, right? Romans 10, 9 and 10. These are verses that are in that Romans road to salvation. Look at what it says. It also does not use the word faith, but belief. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. These verses are not describing a thing that you do. These verses are describing what has already been done and the trust that we would put in him. Now, if you think about faith and you ask that question, what is faith? I want us to answer that because it's really important we define what our faith is because the world has also defined what faith is. They define it wrongly. I want us to understand it rightly. Hebrews 11 in verse 1, and this verse I have given on the screen today in the King James Version because I like that translation better, and we're also probably very familiar with this wording of the verse. Okay, This is what Hebrews 11 and 1 it's almost a verbatim, I mean, it says faith is. So this is a definition of what faith is. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If you'll leave that verse on the board for just a minute, Sarah. What I want you to notice is, is that the world says to us, the, when we say 
that we have faith or we believe on Jesus in faith, this is what the world says that we mean. The belief that we have is this leap in the dark. It's standing on a cliff. It's not knowing what's on the other side and jumping. That's not what faith is. That's how the world describes it. And if you even look at this particular verse, here's what's happening. If you look at the verse, the comma in this verse is is breaking apart two definitions of faith. Faith is, first bullet, the substance of things hoped for. Second bullet, the evidence of things not seen. See those two definitions? And the second half of both of them is what the world focuses on. It's something hoped for. It's something not seen. That's how the world defines our faith. Well, David, you don't know that he exists. You've never seen him. How do you know heaven's a real place? You've never been there. That's something that you hope for. You just hope that he's real, David. You just hope that heaven's out there. You just hope it. It's not seen. That's what your faith is. Hmm. And they're forgetting the first part of that definition. Look at it at its root. What is faith? Faith is substance. Faith is evidence. You see, I don't have faith in him because it's just a fairy tale that I wish for. I have faith in him because he is the substance of what I believe, and I have seen evidence to prove that out to be true. Now, here's what you might say. David, have you ever seen Jesus? I have not. David, have you ever been to heaven? No. Have you ever been given a vision of heaven? No, I have not. But I have felt his conviction on my heart. I have felt his spirit move me. Like Jesus speaking with Nicodemus, I have seen the leaves move. So I know that the wind is there. I have never been to heaven. But when I read this book and I begin to see the evidence that is there, what this book tells me about human nature, about the nature of people, about the nature of creation, about the nature of myself, I begin to see a lot of that stuff play out. This is evidence where I can believe Christ and his word. There is substance to that. This is not just a hope in the dark. Well, David, you're a Christian. You've always been a Christian. You've been, I mean, you were raised in a Christian home, so I mean, your parents pretty much indoctrinated you into this, and this is what you've always believed. I did grow up in church, and listen, when I was this high, I could clean out the Jeopardy Bible category, okay? Like, I knew the Bible. I got, my parents took me to church, and I knew, I mean, I had Sunday school lessons. I knew the Bible, okay? Now, even when I was saved and I put my faith in Christ, I had not explored the religions of the world. I had not looked out there to see what, what Buddhism was about and what Islam was about and what Hindus believed in order to decide if that's what I wanted to believe or not. I put my faith in him. And then, later on, fast forward, just fast forward. 
I believe I was genuinely saved then. But if you fast forward to high school and after, I began to have these moments where I would say, now this is what I know about the Bible. Do I believe that? Is that true? I wouldn't call it a crisis of faith necessarily, but it drove me to study and see if the things I had been taught were true and I really believed them, or did I make that decision to trust Christ based on what somebody else had told me about the Bible? Here's what I discovered during that time. There were some things that well-meaning God said from the pulpit that's really not in the Bible. But there's a lot of what they said that's true and right. And the evidence that I saw in life was proving out the words that I were reading here. The things that it was showing me about my own heart and the nature of the people around me, that's true. When I began to read and find things where historically there are some things that, that back up the words that are here, I began to see evidence and substance, not just in the veracity of a, of a book, but in the veracity of a person who was working in my heart and working through me. This is the idea of simple faith. It is just simple belief, but you need to understand that it is not just, it's not just jumping out into the dark. You see, it's one thing to say, like the kind of faith that we have in him is this deeply rooted faith in the substance of who he is. So like I believe right now that a parachute strapped to a person operated properly, can allow a person to jump out of an airplane and land onto the ground. I believe that to be a fact, right? And I have seen it happen in other people, right? Now, trusting Jesus is a lot like being in the airplane and putting on the parachute and jumping out, right? Which I have not done and probably won't do, right? Because I got more faith in Jesus than I do in the parachute. But... The point is, there is evidence. See what I'm saying? There's evidence of this. It's not just a leap into nothing. John Piper gives this illustration. He talks about it this way, and I think it's a good one. He says, let's suppose for just a minute that you're walking out of your building, the building where you work, and a man comes up to you, and he hands you a bag, and in the bag is $50,000. And the man says, inside this bag are $50,000 and the information to an account number, and I would like for you to deposit that $50,000 in the account from me. And you say, sir, I don't know you, do I? No, you don't know me. Well, sir, why? How can you trust me to take this $50,000 and put it in the account that you're asking me to? I can't. I mean, I, I don't know that I, you know, I don't know that you'll do it or not, but I'm hoping you will. There's no evidence. That person is not exhibiting faith. That person is an idiot to hand you $50,000, right? But let's suppose same scenario happens. You're walking out of the building where you work. A man comes up to you. You don't know him. He hands you a bag, and he says, here's $50,000, and inside is the account number to a bank account, and I would like for you to deposit that into the bank for me. Well, sir, I don't know you. How can you trust that I'm going to take this $50,000 and put it in the bank? Well, no, you don't know me, but I've worked in this building with you for the last two years, and over those two years, I have seen over and over and over again instances where you are a person of honesty and integrity. 
I've seen you treat people in a certain way. I've seen you act in a, in a right way when you thought nobody was looking and the opposite would have benefited you. I've seen you go out of your way to act with integrity and honesty. And I believe that if I were to hand you this and ask you to do it and you agree to do it, that you will honestly take it to the bank and you'll put it in the bank for me. See, that's different. Because now this person has evidence of the kind of person you are. And handing the bag of $50,000 over is not just an, an act of idiocy. It's now an act of trust, and it honors the one in whom the faith has been placed. Do you see what's happening here? When I read his word, and I see who he is, and I see the evidences for what he has done for me on the cross, this is not a leap into the dark. This is a deeply held conviction that he has done it for me. He is who he is. And when I put my trust in him, he is more than capable of saving my soul. This is what simple faith is. It is a belief, a deeply held conviction that he can do what he says he will do based on his work on the cross. This is simple faith. Let's talk a little bit about saving faith. What I want us to focus on here is not the idea of what faith is, that the idea of faith is belief. I want us to think about saving faith is the kind of faith that operates apart from works. It's not what we do that saves us. It is this simple faith in belief that is the means by which we are saved. You see, this was one of the things, this was the main thing, this idea of faith alone was one of the main things that compelled Martin Luther to begin to ask questions before he nailed those 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Castle Church. He began to think to himself, now the church keeps telling me that I need to do this and this and this, but the Bible seems to talk a lot about our salvation coming by faith alone. The church is saying that if I don't do these particular works, and if I don't do enough of them, I might not go to heaven. But the Bible teaches about faith alone. And the feeling that Martin Luther had was, I don't know that he would describe it this way, because I don't know that he knew what I was talking about, but it was like this hamster wheel, you know? It was like he was on it. It's like he was worn out. It was like all the time he felt like, I'm never good enough. I'm never good enough. They keep telling me I need to do these good things, but I'm never good enough. I keep falling down, right? The wheel keeps moving, and I can't keep up. I'm worn out, and boom, there I go again, right? That's the feeling that he had. And he began to look at how the Bible taught that that's not what faith is, that that's not what salvation is. Our faith is a trust in something that has already done, that it's not up to us to do some grand gesture or grand act to earn our salvation. He has already done everything in Christ. Look at these verses. We're going to look at several here. Let's start with Romans 3 and verse 28. Very plainly. For we hold that one is justified, made right with God, by faith apart from works of the law. Faith, not works, faith. Romans 4, verses 4 and 5. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted 
is righteousness. Leave that verse right there up for just a second, Sarah. Notice there's something really important in this verse. The verse on its own has said, if you work and your employer gives you a paycheck, that's not a gift. Those are wages that you have earned, right? Here what he says is, is that if one believes, this is, what, this is, this is his faith. This is faith, right? This is the gift. But notice a really important phrase in this. To the one who, who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. He justifies the ungodly. That means that you and I don't have to shape up or get our act together or do enough good works before he justifies. When he justifies us, we are dirty, rotten, stinking sinners. We're not good and godly people that God says, good job, boy. I think you need some salvation. That's not what's happening. We are ungodly, and he still justifies. Keep going. Romans 5 and verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, there again, made right with God, justified by faith, and so now we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 2 and verse 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Do you hear what that says? By works of the law, you say, these are good words. I'm going to keep these words. No one's justified by that. Now, hear me. The law has its place. Go the Ten Commandments, right? If you said, okay, I'm going to keep the Ten Commandments. I'm going to live those Ten Commandments out. I'm never going to tell a lie. I'm never going to commit adultery. I'm going to go to church. I'm not going to use the Lord's name in vain. I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to kill. All these things, right? I'm going to do all those things. And that'll make me saved. Mm -mm. You know, the New Testament even tells us this that the law has its purpose, right? The law is our schoolmaster teaching us that none of us are righteous. What the law does, when you look at God's word and God has given us commands and laws, and let's just take 10 of them and call them commandments, if you just look at those 10, nobody keeps them. Nobody. That that 10 is a microcosm of the whole that if you were to try to take your life and live by these standards, if that's your standard for life, none of us keep them. The law, as the New Testament says, is our schoolmaster. It's the, the servant who would walk the child from the home to the school. It is taking us the way. The way I've said it to people before is the law is the bus driver. The law takes everybody to school. And you learn that you are no good. You cannot keep it right? You cannot keep it. You learn very quickly that you are ungodly, that you cannot do anything on your own. There are no works. You can't go to church enough. You can't pray enough. You can't read your Bible enough. You can't help old ladies across the street enough. You can't do any of those things enough to justify you. That's what Galatians 2.16 says, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved 
through faith. We looked at this one last week. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. It is not a result of works so that no one can boast about it. Do you see what all these verses are saying? It's a gift. It is by grace through faith that you have been saved. This has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with what he has done. It is not by your works. It's not some grand gesture or act that you do that brings about your salvation. One writer says this, As little as a beggar who puts forth his hand to receive a piece of bread can say that he has earned the gift granted him, so little can believers claim that they have merited justification just because they have embraced the righteousness of Christ graciously offered to them in the gospel. You see, if you start thinking to yourself, well, see, I'll tell you why I'm going to heaven. I'll tell you why I'm saved. It's because I believed. It's because I trusted. Mm. Mm. It's the wrong idea. Faith is this idea. If faith is belief, and it is not a belief in yourself or the works that you can do, it is wholly leaning on what he has already done, then faith is not something you do. Faith is this leaning onto what he has already done, and you have not had any part in that. He is the means of our salvation. He is the basis. He's the substance of our salvation, right? This idea of his grace That is what saves. He has saved us. The faith is simply the means by which we are saved. It is by grace, by grace we're saved, through faith, right? It's this idea that you did not do anything. I've heard this analogy too to to kind of help us with that. Imagine that you uh, you work for the government, spy and you've been taken captive you're being held by terrorists in a prison like a rambo kind of camp you know and you sit in that bamboo cage every day and you say to yourself i believe they'll come for me i believe they're going to send somebody and come rescue me and then one day sure enough they make a plan they put an elite team together they come in on a helicopter They blow things up and shoot bullets. And they make their way to you. They break the cage open and they say, come on with us. We're here to rescue you. And you follow them. You go get on the helicopter and you leave. It would be foolish to say that your faith saved you. Who saved you? The commandos that made the plan and got on the helicopter and came and got you out of the cage and rescued you, right? Just because you trusted and believed and followed them and got on the helicopter does not mean that you had a part in saving you. They saved you. Hear me. It's not your faith that saves. It's his grace that saves. But this faith alone in trusting in what he has done, that is what saves. Not the works that we do to try to earn our salvation. It is by our faith, not our works that we come to him. When we stop trying to find the answer in us and we look totally to him, this is saving faith. Simple faith. Saving faith. Serving faith. 
here's what I want you to hear me do. On this, I have three words attached to faith. But you need to understand that all of those are the same. Saving faith is not different than serving faith, okay? And what I'm fixing to do is I'm fixing to read a passage that, is, that seems to be completely contradictory to everything I've just said. I'm going to share it with you in just a second. And when I do, then I'm going to try to make the connection. But what I want you to know is, is that you are saved when you recognize him as God, you trust on him as God, you believe on him in faith. It's not good works that you do, right? You are saved, and once you are saved, because you believe he is God and he is mighty and he's powerful and he has given us these commands... Then we serve and we follow him, and then we do good works, right? But it's not those good works that save us. But you come over to James chapter 2. And when you get to James chapter 2 and verse 24, James says, write the opposite of what I have been saying. I want to read James 2.24 by itself, without the other verses around it. And I want you to see how... Opposite it is from everything I have said. Let's read just verse 24. You see, James says, that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. James, James, James. What is going on here? Now, all of the verses that I have given you, yeah, all the verses, well, it depends on what you think about Hebrews. But I, all the verses I have given you are Paul, with the exception of Hebrews. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. But every other verse that I've given you has been from Romans or Ephesians or Galatians, right? And so Paul has been clearly saying over and over and over again that we are justified by our faith, not by our works. And then James sticks this verse in the Bible, and you start saying, James, what in the world are you talking about? The Bible's in contradiction. David, you can't believe that book. That book you said you put so much faith in, why would you believe that thing? It's full of contradictions. Look, James and Paul, that's a good example. Okay, I know what this verse says. I want to walk through the whole passage, and I want to try to show us or convince you that what James means is not what this verse says. Okay? Let's back up, and let's start in James 2 and 17. I want to give you a disclaimer before I read this and tell you what's going on. In some ways, James and Paul are not talking about the same thing. In some ways, what Paul is talking about, Paul's addressing a group of people who are trying to work and do all of these works in order to earn their salvation. That's what he's addressing. James is dealing with a different issue. James is dealing with a group of people who are not putting their faith into action. James is dealing with a group of people. Dietrich Bonhoeffer on James, it's called shoe leather Christianity. It's where the water meets the wheel, where the rubber hits the road. The people in James say they have faith, but they don't help the widows and the orphans and the imprisoned. And they people that come into their church that are nice and fancy, they give them a better seat than the people who are not. And James is dealing with a different scenario than Paul, right? And so what James needs them to understand is that if you have the faith in God that you say you have, then 
you will have works, good works that reflect the faith that you already have in Christ. Let's read the passage and let's see if we can get that. See if that's not what James is talking about as we read through. I'm going to read the passage and I may stop. No, I'm just going to, I'm going to read through it twice maybe. I'm going to walk through it twice. Let's read it the first time so we know what it says. James 2 and 17. So faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Let's back up. Let's just back up and walk through that. What's the argument? I want to make sure we're very clear. Verse 17. Faith by itself. If you just say you have faith, but there are no works that reflect that faith, that faith is dead. Someone might say, well, you have faith, I have works. James says you cannot separate the two. You cannot separate them. I'm going to show you my faith by my works. These works will show you the faith that I have already put in Christ. Look at verse 19. You think this is going off in a direction, but look at what he says. You believe that God is one? Good job. Great job, buddy. Even the demons of hell believe that. You believe that Jesus was the Son of God, that Jesus died on the cross and was rose from the tomb three days later? So the demons in hell. You believe that Jesus was a real person, not just some fictitious person. He was a historical figure who really died on the cross. You might even believe that he died on the cross for the sins of the world. So the demons. Who cares? The point is, if you just say you have that kind of faith, What does it matter? If you say you have that kind of faith and it's genuine faith, then the Holy Spirit will be working in your heart and will be active. And there will be some fruit, some works that follow that fact that you've trusted Christ. It will be evidenced by the good works that you do. Verse 20, you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Fine, I'll give you two examples. Example one, verse 21, Abraham. God told Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac. Abraham already had faith in God. And he proved that he had faith in God. He didn't just say he had faith in God. He proved that faith by taking Isaac out and offering him as a sacrifice. This was the proof that he trusted and believed in God. Second example. It's down in verse 25. Sorry, Sarah, I'm skipping all around. Verse 25. And then the prostitute Rahab. She had heard about the power of God. She had heard how he had parted the sea, how he had delivered them from Egypt. She heard about God. She believed in the power of God. And so she exercised her faith by 
bringing those spies in, protecting them, sending them out another way. You see, it was her faith in God that came first. Then it was these works. So when James says in verse 24, you see a person is justified by works and not by faith alone, if that was the only verse he stuck in, we would say these things are in contradiction. But if you look at the whole bit of what James is talking about, he and Paul are saying the exact same thing. This is what they are saying. Salvation does not start with us. It starts with God's grace. And God's grace is revealed to us, is shown to us, it works in us. And there's this faith that is produced. That faith in him, looking solely to him, is the means of our salvation. And we are saved by grace, through faith, as a gift of God, we are changed. We are brought from darkness into marvelous light, and we are different because the Holy Spirit resides in us. And what follows are good works. The Holy Spirit working in us to do what God has commanded, to live a holy life. This is what Paul and James are talking about. I know that because the rest of the Ephesians passage. Let's read Ephesians 2. We've already read verses 8 and 9, but I want us to read 8, 9, and 10. This is back to Paul. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not... This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not the result of works so that no one can boast. Look at verse 10. We are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Both James and Paul are speaking out. I think I may have said John a while ago, and I've met Paul the whole time are speaking about this order. This order. They're saying God's grace is shown to us. We believe in faith. Good works follow. Grace, faith, salvation, works. Now here's the order that the world says. God is gracious and good. If you work really hard and you do lots of good works, then salvation comes. That's not the order. It's not works, then salvation, as the world tells us. It is salvation, then works. The Westminster Confession, which is a Presbyterian doctrine, uh, like statement of belief, the Westminster Confession says it best, like takes these two things and in two sentences combines it. This is what it says. Faith, thus resting and... Re and re sorry, let me start over. Faith, thus receiving and resting on Christ and his righteousness is the alone instrument of justification. Yet, it is not alone in the person justified but it is ever accompanied by all other saving graces and so no dead faith but works of love. You see, it, it's not works, then faith, but if you have faith, real, genuine, faith in God, do you know what's going to be there? Works. That faith is never alone. It is by faith alone in Jesus Christ that we are saved. But that faith alone 
does not exist alone. It's accompanied by good works that follow because we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works before it all began. This is what it is to be saved by faith alone. You see, the world does teach something other than that. The world says, you be good, you let your good outweigh your bad, and then you might go to heaven. Mm, that's really dangerous. And I have to be honest, it's tiring. Like, not only do I believe this because Scripture teaches it. Like, I think for the past however long, hour and a half, or however long I've been talking, I think I've used those verses to show that Scripture plainly teaches that we are saved by faith alone and not works. But there's also a part of me that recognizes the benefit of believing this. You see, if it's up to me to do a certain number of good things before I go to heaven, sitting here today, can I ever tell you with all confidence that I'm going to heaven you see, I can sit here today, and without ego, I can say to you, I'm absolutely sure I'm going to heaven. I don't say that because of my good works. I say that because he's done it. And he has said, if I have done this for you, and you trust in me by faith, do doing nothing on your own, I've, I've blown it all up. I've shot all the bullets. I've come and broke you out of the bamboo cage. I've done it all. Follow me. And you'll be saved. My faith is in him. So I can tell you in total confidence today that I believe that I'm going to heaven. Not because I'm a good person. Because he has acted with grace. And all my faith, all my eggs are in the Jesus basket. All of them. If you have this view that you have to do a certain number of works, you can never, ever be sure. I went online. I did some searching. Did you know, most of us, just several years ago, you might remember when uh, Pope John Paul died. You remember that? And um, that was the only change in, in that uh, papacy that I, that in my lifetime that I remember. And so I, I thought back to that. And you know what I found online? When Pope John Paul, the Pope, you hear me, the Pope, when the Pope died, the Catholic Church put online, put, put out there a prayer for the Catholic Church to pray. I want to read you that prayer. This prayer is called the prayer for the intercession of Pope John Paul II. O Holy Trinity, we thank you for having given to the church Pope John Paul II and for having made him shine with your fatherly tenderness, the glory of the cross of Christ and the splendor of the spirit of love. He, trusting completely in your infinite mercy, and in the maternal intercession of Mary, has shown himself in the likeness of Jesus, the good shepherd, and has pointed out to us holiness as the path to reach eternal communion with you. Grant us, through his intercession, according to your will, the grace that we implore you, in the hope that he will soon be numbered among your saints. Amen.
I'm not the Catholic PR person. But this is what it says. Hey, guys, listen, you know we got this uh, faith thing that's important, but really it's works that your salvation is based on. And we all really want Pope John Paul to go to heaven. But we're not sure that he did enough good things during his lifetime. And so what we need you all to do as the church is we need you to pray this prayer for John Paul, who, Pope John Paul that we love so much in hopes that one day he will surely be numbered among the saints. Without ego, I can tell you where I'm going. When I die, don't you dare say, David did good. If anybody deserves to be there, it's David. Because I don't deserve to be there. I sure don't. None of us do. And when I go, don't you pray some prayer. And say, God, pretty please, it's your fear of will with sugar on top. Will you allow David to go to heaven? Because we like David, and we want him to go to heaven, and we want to see David one day when we go to heaven. Mm -mm. If I die tomorrow, you pray, praising the name of our Lord, who has given himself for me, that without a shadow of a doubt, I can say to you, he has done it all, and I will be in heaven with him. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to find more resources to help you grow in your walk with Christ, check out our website at rootedandresolved.org.